Hi, and welcome to the Willowridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Glad that you guys are with us. If you got your Bible, go and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we'll be. Hit me this morning. I I hope the the springtime weather is going to hang out with us for a little bit. Got here to the church this morning, and at some point in time, Rodney had poured some water out into the parking lot. And as water will do, it ran downhill, and then it formed a a little puddle there at, at a part of the parking lot. And sitting there on top of that puddle was a nice, thick layer of pollen, right? So it's springtime in South Carolina. We don't pay attention to the groundhogs. We pay attention to the pollen, and it's here, right? So it is good to have you guys here with us. We are taking the Lord's Supper today. And so if you did not grab your elements as you came in, please take this opportunity right now to head back to the back and grab those. I promise uh, we won't mock you, laugh at you, do anything. Just slide on back there and get those. And at the end of the message, we will be uh, partaking in the, the Lord's Supper together as a church. Um, I want to continue to encourage you. We are going to have our marriage conference March 25th and 26th here at Willow Ridge Church. We're excited about that. Uh, I know for so many of you, marriage conferences have been an important part of of your marriage and and building and strengthening and understanding what God has for you. And we've got a wonderful Friday evening and Saturday till a little bit after lunchtime from that morning of time for us to spend together as couples diving into God's Word here from some phenomenal uh, men and women of the Lord as they talk about their marriage and how God is is using difficult seasons, difficult times to draw them closer to him and as as a result, drawing them closer to each other. Um, Right now, it's all video-based through Right Now Media. And I had somebody ask me last week, I said, they they asked a question, they said, is there a general theme for it? And honestly, there's not. It's a marriage conference that that Right Now Media put together for for 2020. But as I was just watching these videos over and over again, as I'm working on some breakouts and some discussion starters for couples to be able to use in their marriage, uh, one of the themes, though, that that began to just hit me of, of how God is using each and every one of these messages was this, was that as an individual person in the marriage, how important it is to, to make the primary relationship in your life your relationship with Jesus, and how that relationship and the depth of intimacy that we have with the Lord, how that builds and strengthens our marriage. And there's so many other different aspects of that that these men and women are going to be sharing with us and talking about. And so I would encourage you, uh, tickets are $20 a person um, to, to, to get those tickets, to be a part of that. And, and I'm excited to see how the Lord's going to use that in our church. But, but being honest with you, how the Lord's going to use it in my marriage as well. And so I want to encourage you to be there and, and to be a part of that. Well, well, last week, uh, we took some time at the beginning of the service and, and, and prayed about the, the war that is taking place in the Ukraine. And I shared with you guys that, that we were going to be praying through and processing, you know, a, as a church, like, what can we do? How can we come along? And, and the Lord opened a door for us this, this past week with that. Uh, one of the things at the very beginning as we started going through 1 Corinthians, it, it talked about how the body was perfectly equipped and gifted for the work that God had for it. And this past week was, was evident of that for me, 
about how Willow Ridge has, has been perfectly equipped to be the church God has called us to be as we've been able to form a, a partnership with the Moldovian church that is ministering and caring for refugees. And, and, and that perfect equipping happened well before this couple came to our church. I don't know, many of you know Matt and Tricia Evans. I don't know that many of you necessarily know, unless you've known Matt and Tricia for, for a while, that Matt and Tricia Evans previously served in Moldova with the IMB. That long before Matt and Tricia were at Willow Ridge Church, they were missionaries on the mission field. And as a result of their years of working on the ground, planning churches, equipping pastors, and working with them, they've kept that network, those friendships, and those relationships. Some of those pastors and friends that they've met have, have journeyed in, and I know pastor uh, specific churches to reach uh, those particular people groups in various parts of our country. But a lot of those pastors remain in countries like Moldova, where they're continuing to minister. If you're unfamiliar with Moldova, it's not a country that gets talked about a lot, but it is a country that was a part of the Soviet Union. If you're looking at the, the map, the, the global map of, of Ukraine, and you look to the southwest corner of Ukraine, the country that borders it right there is the country of Moldova. And Matt has been able to continue on in his partnerships, and one of those has come through a pastor by the name of Constantine. Matt shared with me today that they refer to him as Costi, and so we'll talk about Pastor Costi, who pastors Emmanuel Church in the town of Belts, Moldova. Belts is spelled B-A-L-T-I, pronounced like plural, what I've got around my waist, Belts. I know but that's what it is, right? So we had this wonderful opportunity to connect with him. This church is taking in refugees, refugees who are fleeing from the war that is there. And if you're, again, if you've been watching and been tracking the area that, that will access into Moldova is the area that is taken over for the most part by Russian occupation right now. And they're bringing these families into their church, but also bringing these families into their homes. So we in the United States have already begun to feel an economic burden, right? I mean, there, there's lots of burdens that are going on, but let's be honest, one of the burdens that we're feeling is an economic burden as a result of a lot of things that are, that are happening and taking place all, all over the world, but in, with what's taking place also in the Ukraine. And as a result of that, we feel that, right? We feel that when we look at the account balance. We feel that when we look at the gas pump. But could you imagine living in a country where you're feeling that burden economically from your pocket, but now on top of that, you're not trying to figure out how to provide for your family of four, but you're now trying to figure out how to provide for your family of four who's brought on a family of six who prior to that you may or may not have, have known. I want to show you all some pictures that are going to be up here on the screen. Right here, this, the guy in the middle, this is Pastor Costi, and on either side of him, he's got some refugees who have made their way over. Let's go and show the next one. This is another family, right, that's been welcomed into their home. Right, I mean, it just looks like the family from the neighborhood, right? Mom, dad, kids, and everybody that's there. 
Another family that's come in. Let's go ahead and show the next one. All right, this picture is beautiful. And what makes this beautiful is there's nothing that says family like a group of people gathering around a table. And we don't know, like if we were just to set that picture out of context, we could think, oh, there's just a bunch of, just a bunch of families just, just there, but it's a bunch of different refugees representing different families who are there having a meal. Let's go and show the next picture. Every country has the equivalent of Sam's, all right? And what you see here, and I don't know if you can tell, but they're on the baby aisle. And over here on the left, you see Huggies, all right? And this is a representative from the church coming to buy, from Emmanuel Church, coming to buy supplies for the church and for the families that are going to be there. And show, show, we'll show the next picture. And this was a video that I had to hit a, a screenshot, and, and Matt pronounced it for me this morning of what this is. And, and Matt, I apologize, buddy, but in 10 minutes I've forgotten, all right? Uh, I know it, it sounded like it started with a P and ended with like five letters that I can't piece together right now. But this is outside. Uh, this is actually at the border of Moldova and, and Ukraine. And, and this is a group uh, from the church there that's there preparing food to give to the refugees who are coming across um, the border so they can have a hot meal. All right. So we want to continue to pray for all that's going on, but we want to also partner uh, with the church that's there. And so I want to kind of share with you guys uh, to what we're, what we're looking at doing and, and what we hope to continue to be able to do. Um, this month, what we've already been able to do this past week is, is we sent $2,000 uh, to this church so this church could continue to buy the supplies and the things that they need. And what we've committed to, as long as the need is there and as long as the Lord moves in that direction, is for us to continue to send about $1,000 each month moving forward to help out with the assistance in this church. And we love the fact that we can do this, and we love the fact that we can do this through the partnerships and through relationships that we have with, within our church. I do want to share a couple things with you guys as we, as we look at this. Um, number one, um, when we start the budget process, we start our budget process in summertime, and, and we unaware that this was going to be happening or taking place. And so if you go look at the Willow Ridge budget, um, the amount of money that we need is not accounted for in the budget. And our plan is to provide this while continuing to provide for the plan that we laid forward for the ministries that we partner with, but also the ministries that we have within our church. And so the plan is to continue on without taking away. And we believe that God will provide. We believe that God will provide and take care, and we're excited about that. But the check that we need to have with ourselves Myself, yourself, and for all of us is, is in this an opportunity for us to evaluate our heart, concerned with finances. I know it's tough right now. I know it's hard. I know a dollar doesn't go as far as a dollar did. Probably a dollar doesn't go very far for anything right now, right? Somebody told me like the 99 cent store is like the dollar 25 store now, right? Right? But for us to check our hearts concerning our finances, and the expectation of the Lord to tithe and to give sacrificially. So we're excited about what God's going to do with the gospel through this. 
what God's going to do in this refugee. I talked a little bit about this last week, and I promise we're going we're to jump into our message and, and hopefully go full circle with this. But the concept of refugee was not in my brain as a child. It was not in my brain as a teenager. And we've got a generation now who are growing up with the thought of refugee. That term refugee is, is something that they know. And when we hear refugee, we hear refugee crisis. War breaks out in Syria, refugee crisis. Persecution breaks out in Bangladesh, and so there's a crisis. War breaks out in the Ukraine, so there's crisis. And I believe they are crisis. But what God does and what God gives us uh, the ability to do through the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit is to take what is a crisis and to see that it is an opportunity. As men and women from all over the world are being mobilized and we have an opportunity for the gospel. For, for just, just one illustration, really quickly how God's used this in our area. That right now in Columbia, South Carolina, been here and are still coming here, are refugees from Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan who have felt the burden and the persecution that is faced under the oppressive rule of Islam. And to take the gospel to where they are, and many faithful men and women have, could mean your life. But a crisis is created, and they flee. And now, in less than six miles from where we sit this morning, are Syrian, Iraqi, and Afghan refugees whose doors and lives are open, an opportunity for men and women like us to share the gospel with them. If we'll take what the world says is a crisis and look at it as an opportunity. And so as I watch the news, my heart breaks for the men and the women and children of Ukraine who are fleeing. But as we think through this, through the power of what God wants to do, we have to ask ourselves this question, is this a crisis or is this an opportunity? And what we're seeing is through Pastor Costi and the men and women and children of Emmanuel Church, God's provided us an opportunity. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. We thank you for the wonderful privilege and opportunity we have to share your gospel all over this world. Lord, I, I know the strain that many of us are feeling right now. The strain of finances, the strain of concern, the strain of worry. But Lord, as we go through this, I pray what comes from this is a maturity, is a strengthening of trust and in you and in you alone. Lord, we continue to lift up prayers for those being affected by this war that has taken place. Lord, we ask that you work and that you move in such a powerful way that everyone will be clear and evident that it is the hand of God who's at work. We pray for Pastor Costi and the church, Emmanuel Church, Lord, and the opportunities that they have to minister and to share. And we thank you for the wonderful opportunity that we have. Lord, your word says that you work for good for all of those who love you. 
And Lord, what we're seeing in the, in the gospel plan in the story of the Lord is years ago, you mobilized the Evans and you sent them to Eastern Europe to minister and to share. Lord, and beginning to see those pieces that come place so that in a, today, in a day like today, where we can continue to pour in and see men and women come to faith. Lord, we thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, I want to ask a question. Question that, as I wrote it down on my paper in my office this week, has been a question that I've struggled with, a question that I've wrestled with, a question where the Holy Spirit gets to take me out back, put a little whooping on me, right, and bring me back in and get me ready for one more. And the question is this, do I genuinely love do I genuinely love? It, it was a question I, I read a, a, a pastor who, who wrote a 25-page uh, uh, chapter in, in a book about this passage of Scripture, and this is what he brought it to. He said, do I genuinely love? And, and what he means by that is you dove through is, and, and try to sum it up in, in, in five simple words. What, what he was driving to is, do I love all people? All people. I'm like you, I love I love food, I love family, I love friends, I love sports, I love outdoors, I love. But the heart check for me in the concept of love is removing the things, focusing on the people, and asking myself, do I love all people? Because what I find about myself, which probably rings true in your life as well, is we are good at what I would call selectively loving Choosing maybe directly or indirectly those who I think are deserving of my love. Now, I used to say, and the Lord corrected that a little bit on me this week, is that we tend to, to love those who do nice things and who love us. But what I found thinking through that this week is that's not always the case. We don't necessarily limit our love. There are people that we love who are hurtful and destructful to us, but we still choose to love them but yet that we see when we are still within ourselves of, of who we are as individuals that I have a set of expectations that are sinfully buried in my being of who I am and based off of those expectations that I set for myself, that I determine for myself, bases off who I love and who I don't. And it's easy to say, oh man, I love everybody. But the question, do I genuinely, or maybe even better, do I biblically love all people? Now, Paul's going to address this. He's going to address this in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And the area that he's going to address this is, is this. Do I love to the point where I'm willing to lay down my rights and my freedoms for the sake of others? So in my ability to love all, am I willing to let that impact me? All right, let's start reading. We're going to read all the way through 1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, he says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. And this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 
If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for, and for whom we exist, in one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Verse 7, however, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So let's look and see what's happening here. What is the offense that is taking place in, in Corinth? As we've seen, Paul is dealing with reports and struggles and questions that have come to him from the people of Corinth. Some of these have been reported to him from a faction within the church of the division that's there. And what we've been able to draw from Scripture is some of these have come in the form of the letter of the church saying, hey, answer this question for us. And we don't know which one this has come from, but this has come to Paul. And it's concerning specifically meat sacrificed to idols. Now, this is going to be for us like, like a lot of things that, that we've seen in this letter at, at the church of Corinth, right? There's not necessarily a direct correlation that plays out in Lexington, South Carolina, right? Like when I go to Aldi or Publix, I'm not walking up to like the, the idol meat and the non-idol meat, right? Like that's not what we're working with here, right? So what we're going to do is try to understand what is happening and, and what is taking place. And, and there's a lot of disagreement, but, but here's what we know. So, so Corinth was a very pagan place, there was temples to different gods that were there. And in part of the sacrifice of what people would do is people would bring meat. And this meat would be sacrificed to an idol. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a temple where, where sacrifices like this happen, but, but I've had the opportunity to go to a couple. I went to one in Taiwan and, and one in Hong Kong, and, and part of the sacrifices that people brought to these temples, uh, don't worry, I didn't go and bring sacrifices, right? We were in their prayer walking. But as we, as we were there, what they would do is they would bring fruit and they would come and they would take the fruit and they would buy the fruit from the temple and they would bring the fruit and they'd lay it down before the, the statues and this would be their sacrifice. And I asked, 
I said, what happens to the fruit? And they said, well, for a long time it was thrown out. And then the leaders of the church decided it would be more glorifying to their gods. I said church of the temple, of the gods, if they would just consume it, right? So I don't know like, how their sign-ups go for that, but like, you want children's ministry? You want, I, want, I want the food ministry. That's what I want, right? I'm going to be the guy that eats it all. So that's what they would, that's what they would do. And so what you've got happening here in, in Corinth is people would bring meat as a sacrifice for, for, for the idols. Now, here, here's what it would create. Within the church, it was creating two different conflicts. Now, I don't mean conflicts in the church that it will lead to. I mean internal conflicts between individual members of the church, something that they would need to wrestle with and figure out for themselves because this meat, after you presented, could be taken to the market and sold. All right. So one of the conflicts that it would create for the members of the Corinthian church was a financial conflict, right? Should we go to the market and purchase and partake in this meat? Is this something that we should do? Now, here's part of this. This meat was cheaper. So can we go buy this meat that's less, right? In most of the places when you became a Christian, you became ostracized. People stopped partaking in your business that you had. They stopped, like you felt the burden of that, all right? There's almost like religious sanctions that would happen on Christians. So they're making less money. They're feeling cast out. Now there's an opportunity to save. So should we buy this meat or shouldn't we? And there would be some people who would say, yes, there's freedom to do so. And then there'd be others who would say, no, there's not freedom to do so. Another conflict that it would create is a social conflict. So imagine this. Imagine you're a Christian, and you're living in Corinth, and there's a family that you've been witnessing to, and they're not Christians. And they say to you, would you come to our house and eat with us? And you show up, and they're definitely buying the meat sacrifice to the idol. Right? What do you do? What is the conflict that's there, what happens and what takes place. Now, what we're, we're going to see is that in these moments, Paul says, yes, you've got the freedom to do this. They're statues. They're not real. They don't have power. How many of you, quick survey, I told Joel Van Ham I was going to use this, raise your hands if you remember watching the Brady Bunch with the Hawaiian tiki, right? Raise your hand, right? All right, good, good. There's some of us, so I won't overly dive there, but right, like, the, that's not what's happening, right? It's not these statues got power. And to help us, because we don't live in an understanding of idols, I want to tell you guys a little story. And I brought this statue in here with me. I got this statue. Aaron and I, after being married for a year, had an opportunity to go on a mission trip to Zimbabwe. We were there for two weeks. And, and one day I'd been at a, at a church and been doing some preaching and doing some teaching there and we left and we were told we wouldn't be going by a market. And so I left the money locked up in the safe because we were told that's what we needed to do. Um, but but I, got some, I got some wrong information, okay? And, and we did stop by a market. Well, I was there and we were told, hey, in Zimbabwe, there is, and it's still this way there, it's tough financially, going through some difficult times. We started, hey, bring food with you because we can't guarantee that you'll be able to get food every day. And so one of the things that I brought was, if you know me, you know how much I love a Snickers candy bar, right? So I had my backpack, and I had it filled with Snickers candy bars. When I got hungry, I'd pull out a Snickers candy bar. And so we take off, and we're walking around this market in Zimbabwe, and people are buying things, and they're buying stuff. And I'm like, 
I'm hungry, right? Reach in, grab out a candy bar, start eating that candy bar. And you would have thought I pulled out a million-dollar bill. Right? Men and women started coming up to me. They started trying to sell me stuff. And I said, I don't have any money. But they started pointing to what was in my hand. <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, I got, I got candy bars, you know? This is 2005, so I like 69 cents, you know? I, I'm rich, right? And so I'm like, okay, well, I got some candy bars. And so I'm like giving out a couple candy bars, and now like the masses are coming. And people are like bringing stuff. They're like, this for a candy bar. I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. Right? So it's got an elephant and got some different animals' heads on there. That'll, that'll look cool. I'll take that. Yeah, thank you. Hand carved, like that's shoe polished to, to give it its, its stain look, its, its color. So for the price of a trade of a Snickers candy bar, I got me a statue. I go back to the hotel. And I'm showing one of the guys that's, that's their part of the missions team that brought us in. I'm like, hey, look, look at my statue. He's like, man, I ain't a statue. That's an idol. I'm like, what you mean? <laughs> He's like, no, those represent different little gods, and they'll pray for them, or pray to them, and do all these kind of things. I said, man, I thought it was a statue. He said, yeah. And he said this. He said, you probably shouldn't have bought that. You know, as we show up in like the Baptist church minivan of Zimbabwe, you know. And they're like, yeah, probably not. But for me, it was, it was just a statue. You know, I've had this statue. It was at our home for years. And then it sat, set it back here. I had it in our home for years. And I've had it in my office. It's, it's never moved, right? It's never talked. It's never like had, like the lights go off and all of a sudden, right, it starts glowing. <laughs> it's a piece of wood. But for a group of people that watched a Christian pastor purchase it, there was the thought in their heart, why is he buying an idol? Why is he buying an idol? All right? These idols have no power, and they're not real. And there's some difficulties for us in this. Because when we see Scripture, we see sometimes the Bible draws some hard lines. And by hard, they can be difficult. But what I mean by hard is defining. Like we talked about last week, God's standard for marriage. It's, it's there. It's defined. It's clear. It's evident. God's design for sex, it's clear, it's evident. But not everything that we see, not everything that we have in here are these exact same situations. So in these, we sometimes ask ourselves, can I, can I, can I do this, can I do that? I'm in Corinth, can I eat the meat? I'm in Zimbabwe, can I buy the statue? Can I watch the movie? Can I have the drink? Can I make this purchase? Can I go here? And we ask ourselves the question, can I? When the truth is, the question, the greater question that Paul has for us in these moments is, should I? Not can I. Is should I? 
right? Could I buy the statue? Yeah, I could. Could I in that moment with clear conscience and the expectation of the Lord still haven't found where it says, don't buy the statue? Yeah. But should I? No. I shouldn't have. Men and women who came in and out of our room cleaning, bringing us food, building relationships, Sharing Christ. Right? Could it create a stumbling block? Absolutely. And what Paul says, the, the greater motivation behind can I and is the should I, which comes from not some made-up religious standard that we put on ourselves, but is our love for Christ and my love for others. And my love for you to ask the question, should I? Look back at verse 8. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat. We're no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. That's the concern. Not what can I do. Not what can I get away with. Not what do I have permission in. But will my actions, whether directly or indirectly, cause another brother or sister to stumble? Paul says, can you? Yes, you can. But your right can cause others to stumble. Verse 10, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge of eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Look at verse 12, thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, Paul says, you sin against Christ. You sin against Christ. And if we are a people who hate sin, to know that our sin causes them to stumble means that we sin against the Lord. And so if my freedom causes you to stumble then it becomes my sin it becomes my sin verse 13 therefore if food makes my brother stumble Paul says I will never eat meat I will never eat meat I will never eat meat can he? yes but he said this is what it's going to lead to then I walk away. Then I walk away. And all of this is done because Paul loves the brother whom he's never met. This is knowledge puffs up. The stance that these men and women who were eating the meat sacrificed to the idol, their argument was based in accurate theology. 
what I can do. But Paul says, but love builds up. What am I willing to lay down for others? I want to look at a couple passages in Romans. Turn to, turn to Romans 12, 9. We're going to look at love really, really quickly, I promise. And an understanding in just a couple of instances where, where we can see and draw from the writings of Paul what this genuine biblical love looks like. All right? I'm going to go ahead and start reading this. It's going to be on the screen, Romans 12, starting verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. No one but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, not them, but you and me, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Just a handful of things, three things really quickly of what I just want to draw out of this that I feel like apply for this when we lay down what we can versus what we should in meaning to genuinely love, to let our love be genuine. Just a handful of things real quick. Number one. You and I, and I'm so guilty of this. It hit me between the eyes like a hammer this week. Number one, we have to remove the I don't care mentality. What we do impacts people, whether it's right or it's wrong. And if it's right, we should still do it, all right? I'm not saying that. Truth is truth. But when it hurts others, we have to have a sense in our heart that cares. Doesn't mean we have to take it back, but we have to care. And so too often we want to stand behind a falseness of, of, of this confidence that we have of truth and say, well, when it hurts you, I don't care. And we have to remove the I don't care. Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. We have to remove the I don't care mentality. Number two, we have to stop giving selfish love. We have to stop giving selfish love. Loving those who we feel like are worthy and deserving of our love. Only. We've got to stop giving selfish love. Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless them. Bless them. Encourage them. Pour it out on them. Love them with all you have. Make them think you're so stinking weird they don't know what to do with it. Right? 
Bless them. Bless them. And, and here's something that God taught me this week. Loving others is trusting God. Loving others is trusting God. Paul says, repay no one evil. Now, sometimes I feel like we determine that we are judge, jury, and executioner. They've done this, and so I'm righteous to then do this. They've done this to me, so then I'm going to lash out to them. And we take where we've been offended, where we've been hurt, and we reflect back on that. And here's what Paul says. Repay no one evil for evil. But then he goes down, and at the end of this, here's what he says. Leave it to the wrath of God. They do this to you. Lord, I'm trusting that you're in control. Lord, I'm trusting that you're going to do what you're going to do. Lord, I'm trusting that you're going to use this. The depth of the love that we see. Right? One of the passages fit like a couple of chapters. Romans chapter 9. Verses 1 and 3. Paul says this. These are three hard verses. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What we see in, 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 in Romans 12 is, is a love, and, and, and largely in, in a lot of this, a, a love for, for, for one another, but also for love outside of the church. But in chapter 9, in these three verses, Paul's going to narrow that focus down, and he's going to talk about love for the lost. And I want to ask you a question. Do you love lost people? You say, yeah. I shake my head, yeah. And then this week, what I learned is the love that I have for the lost is so far under God's standard that it's not funny. First off, let's understand here, Paul is not speaking in hyperbole. Verse one, because Paul knows what he's about to say is very radical in verses two and three. Look back at this, he says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. Know that what I'm saying is from the Lord. Paul says, if you don't believe me, I'm not lying. My conscience to me bears witness in the Holy Spirit that what I'm about to say is true. And he says that, that what, what he feels, his feeling for the lost brings him this, sorrow and unceasing anguish. Right, like, This is the give you ulcers, keep you up at night, burden your heart, change your finances, change your goals. This is what it brings. And Paul says, I so love the lost, my brothers who, who know not of Christ and who he is and who have not been transformed, that he says that I'm willing to be cut off from Christ if it means others would know him. Paul's saying, I'm willing to take on the wrath of God on myself if it means that they would know Jesus. 
But how many times will we not walk next door to our neighbor? Or go to the coworker? Or go to the person who looks different, sounds different, acts different than us? I mean, I thought I loved the lost. And then God said, watch this. In these last several years, I want to share a piece of you for the ministry and the mission of our church, of what God has done, and a burden and an opportunity that God has placed on my heart and, and other individuals in our church as well. To come alongside men and women who are lost, who are broken, who are hurting, and who do not know the Lord. And it gives us an opportunity to begin to see what does this look like in our life. And I want to share with you a ministry that we're going to be partnering with and challenging many of you to join me in this partnership. The ministry that we're going to be partnering with is a ministry known as the Circle of Welcome. And it's centered around the refugee crisis that has become an opportunity for the church. I shared earlier at the very beginning of the message that all throughout the world, for, for, for years, for, for thousands of years, since, since the world began, we see this great migration of people when conflict hits. And then what has taken place and what has happened in the United States from the very beginning under every president that has sat in the Oval Office has had to deal with and figure out how do we as the United States respond to this global refugee crisis and this global rep refugee movement. And every president in the United States has welcomed under different standards for every single one of them refugees into our country. And Columbia, South Carolina, I know we live, most of us are in Lexington, but Columbia, you know, on the other side of the river, right? It has become a hotbed of refugee men, women, children, and families coming into here. I want to say this, legally. They're here with the paperwork from the government saying that they have the right to be here and the assistance to be here. And as they come here, what we begin to realize is, like, imagine this, like, Take a, if you've ever been to another country one time, like you were there for a week. Like, let's say like, like you went to, to, to Mexico on your honeymoon and you were there for a week. And so you went there and you noticed that like you, you stumbled through, you're trying to like bring back your, your, your high school Spanish class to like help you order food and, and you're unsure of the signs as you're traveling and you're just trying to get through best you can, all right? People that are younger than me, let me walk you all through something. We didn't have Google Translate, all right? We had to figure this stuff out as we go. And, and you, you saw through that until you got to your resort Right where you want to be, how uncomfortable that was at the airport. Imagine you were in another country, speaking another language, with other cultures and other customs that are unlike anything here. And you're not going to be brought here for a week. You're going to be brought here for the rest of your life. And the only thing you can bring with you is the bag that you can carry or the bag that you can put on your back. 
And so through the, the, the government working through different organizations, what has been created through the Lutheran church is a ministry called Circles of Welcome. And what they do is they partner with other organizations, primarily churches in our area, who say that these families that we know are, are coming here, and so we're going to form what's called a circle of welcome for them. So that as they get here, they will come here alone, but what they will find is a family and families who love them, who welcome them, and who want to see them succeed where they find themselves. And it provides us that opportunity. It provides us that opportunity to share the gospel. It provides the opportunity to share our life. But it's going to require some things for us. And it's what I want to close on before we take part in the Lord's Supper. So what will a circle of welcome require? Number one, it will require a commitment of time. As we form a circle of welcome at Willow Ridge Church, which is going to be somewhere between 6 and 15 individuals, the commitment of time that we will commit is somewhere between 6 and 12 months to be able to walk along this family. What will we do over 6 and 12 months? Number one, a big one, is we're going to assist in transportation needs. We're going to help take the doctor's appointments. We'll help take the DMV appointments. We'll help take the job training because it is the goal and it's where they end to get jobs so that they can provide for themselves. We'll transport them as they need to get their kids registered for schools. We'll help take them to ESL classes and many other different transportation needs. Oh, a big one is going to the grocery store. All right, help transport them there as well. Another thing that we will help in is we will assist in cultural transition. All right, I mentioned the, the grocery store. I don't know if you know this, but every, every, every country has different cultures, and every culture has its different way that you buy food, right? I don't know about you, but one of the most intimidating things when I go into a new country is then opening up and trying to figure out like how to, how to move from dollar to whatever this currency is, right? So we got to help with that. We got to take them through and, and, and teach them and show them and walk through with their money that they have, how they can buy and provide the things for theirs. One of the things that we like to do is, is Aaron and I love to, to go to the Indian grocery store and buy things. We love to cook Indian uh, food, but it's so intimidating when you can't read the labels, right? And so just imagine that's where you are. So we're there that we can help read and, 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 and help the best we can translate and explain what these things are. Assist in cultural transitions. Another way that we can assist in trans, transitional, cultural transitions is to share a meal. Share a meal, all right? Let me tell you, when you have the opportunity to sit down, uh, two years ago, I sat down with a man from India at a place in Lexington, and they brought out the menu. And I said, Jacob, if you're okay, can I order for you? And he said, yes. And I said, you're about to be wild, all right? And I said, bring this man a Philly cheesesteak and onion rings, all right? And they brought it out. He didn't know what it was, but he partook in it and loved every moment of it, right? All right? And so we get those opportunities to share a meal, but maybe even to take part in one of their meals as well. And another way we can assist in a cultural transition is to find a movie and take him to see a movie and experience that. 
Columbia has been blessed with one of the best zoos in the world and to go there and walk through that process with them. These are the things on paper that through this organization they ask us to do. But I also want to share with you two other ways if you agree to be a part of this circle of welcome that you can welcome this family into our community. Number one, you can be a friend. You can be a friend. Seems like one of the most simple things to do. But be someone who knows when their birthday is. Be someone who will weep when they weep and rejoice when they rejoice to be the friend that Christ has called you to be. And then the second one, and I shared this with the leader at the Lutheran Church services, the ultimate goal. Because I'm not about patting people on the back as they go to hell. The most important thing that we can have the opportunity to do is to share Jesus with them. The hope of the gospel. Maybe it begins as we just pray for them. Maybe it continues on as we share a Bible study with them. Maybe it continues on as as their friend you say, can I help you out with your ESL classes? And we do so by teaching them through the stories of the Bible. Maybe it begins as we help them learn how to read by opening up a children's story Bible and helping them read through and understand the words that are there. Maybe it continues on as you share your testimony in your journey to the Lord. Why would we do this? What does this require? What requires at the part to lay down my rights, what I can do, and ask myself, what should I do and what is needed? No one's getting into heaven or not because of this for us. Your salvation is not found in whether you signed up on a piece of paper to be a part of the circle of welcome or not, but it's found in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He gave of his life so that you might have life. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.